Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's last three games starting off in San Antonio and then rounding it out with their back-to-back set they completed yesterday. Going to be breaking down the scores of that, the top performers, and then I'm going to be doing a bit of a deeper dive on Trey Mann and Alexei Pokushevsky and what they have been doing in the last week or so. And to wrap it up, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But guys, apologies for not having an upload on Friday. I actually was in Fort Worth to watch some of the March Madness games. Didn't have the greatest cut. North Carolina has done a spectacular job, though. think I might do just a March Madness centric podcast in the next couple days on some of the top prospects and maybe how they would fit with OKC but yeah it was a great time had some great games and there's obviously some really good Cinderella stories on the cusp here with um, St. Peter's but going into just NBA talk with the Thunder they started out facing against the San Antonio Spurs on Wednesday end up lining up with really everybody on roster you don't have Lou you don't have Josh Giddy, but that's nothing new I mean they, they've just kind of had to live with it at this point and they kind of found their big three at least in this game they did to open the game SGA Darius Baisley and starting center Isaiah Roby did a great job starting ended up finishing with 22 of the team's 29 points in the first quarter it wasn't enough because San Antonio was shooting out of their minds in the first quarter. Uh, so they were down 37 to 29, but they had the framework really in there uh, between those three to make this a really high scoring contest and apply the pressure to San Antonio if they couldn't keep up the high octane offense. And when you go into the second quarter, Oklahoma City looked to continue to put pressure on them. At the four minute mark, SGA was able to tie the game at the free throw line. But then their mini run just completely halted. They were looking good, looking to take the lead by the halftime horn. But then they shot two of five. And on the flip side, San Antonio, they didn't have necessarily a lot of field goals made. But they were getting to the line and they were getting to the paint. So they were able to bottle out a 17 to five closing run. And it put them up 68 to 56 to close out the first half. And Oklahoma City actually did a pretty good job on the offensive end. If you're putting up 56 points, that's impressive for the Thunder uh, for a half. I think they're averaging about 103, 104 points per game. So they're they're right where they need to be. Uh, and they were shooting really efficiently. 54% from the floor, 42% from distance. One thing that sucks, I mean, they did shoot 11 of 17 from the foul line, but the fact they got to the line 17 times in the first half is still pretty significant, at least in my book. So it's a win at all three levels. One thing, you've started to see some players just emerge for quarters where they're going to drop in double figures for the first quarter. Someone's going to be there in the second quarter. In this one, you had two players in SGA and Darius Baisley who did pretty well. I mean, Baisley had 12 by halftime. SGA had 11. 
but there wasn't really that number one option. And you have to remember, a lot of the points between Baines and SGA came in the first quarter. And for Isaiah Roby, he had seven points by half. I think all of his points came in that first quarter as well. So you had to kind of outsource the offense to your bench. You had a few players kind of chip in. Poku and Teo look solid in some spurts. But you didn't have that kind of commander that maybe you were hoping for. Um, And I think that's why they saw the lead sputter away and get down to that 12-point deficit. For San Antonio, it was really much the same. I mean, they shot 14 of 16 from the line and went 10 of 23 from distance. OKC, they went 5 of 12. So that's automatically five extra three balls going in their direction. So that's kind of how they get there. But really, uh, the objective from Dagnall going into the locker room was like, lock him down from the three-point arc and you should be good. Didn't look that way in the third quarter. San Antonio led for the majority of of the third by double digits however at the very tail end you saw Darius Baisley just come into his own last 10 points for the Thunder and right before he went on his tangent SGA was getting anywhere he wanted to he shot nine for nine in the third quarter I think he set some record in the process of this but he dropped 20 points in the third, had 31 points leading into the fourth quarter, and it was a seven-point game at 98-91, to so it's back to a toss-up, and I was mentioning how they needed to find some stars, Bays and SGA were the one-two power punch that they really needed going into the final 12 minutes, and they didn't really thrust out like the starters to begin the fourth quarter, SGA was getting some rest, Bays was getting some rest, started throwing in the bench mob, the pokus, the Vit Credchies, and about midway into the frame, Vit Credchie was able to nail a triple, and it gave OKC their first lead of the contest. Then you see the starters come back in, and it's back and forth, over and over again. You get down to what should be their final possession of the game. They're down a point. And Alexei Pokushevsky is out there with the starting unit. He slashes inside, gets his layup blocked, but they called it a goaltending. So you put him up a stick, man. San Antonio gets the basketball with 4.8 seconds to go. They need a desperation shot. They need a prayer here. And Lonnie Walker called the game off the inbound pass. Straightaway three-pointer nails it with 1.8 seconds to go. And SGA on the return got his three ball blocked. Spurs escape the night with a 122 to a 120 win. For people in the tank race, this was a delight. You got 48 minutes of really good basketball from the Thunder. Missed out. Uh, from the actual regular season victory, but you collect some ping pong balls on a Spurs team that, believe it or not, is kind of sifting through the lottery waters. So this one put them at 20 and 49 on the year, losing streak to a league worth seven games going into their back to back sets. Did have some nice options for OKC though. SGA finished with 34 points, so a bit quieter in the fourth quarter, but 34 and 8 assists, 14 of 22 in all, and that's the ninth time that he broke the 30-point threshold for Baisley, 
Third straight 20-point game. He had 25 points in 33 minutes on a 9-of-16 shot chart. And Alexei Pokushevsky added 16 points and 6 rebounds off the bench. So, you get a couple good storylines to build up. Get a day of break. And you go into the next game on Friday. Miami Heat. I'll break that one down in one second here. But first... I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the special offer they have for you all. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round? And who will hit the most three-pointers? Then, track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus, age requirement, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Anyways, though, guys, moving into the Thunder's second-to-last game. Had it against the Miami Heat. This is one where you go into things, and you got a lot of shooters on Miami's side. You got the Tyler Heroes of the world. You got the Duncan Robinsons. First quarter was all Duncan Robinson. He started the game with nine straight points for Miami on the flip side. OKC only had two points to combat it. And OKC, they really had to entrust SGA uh, to start it out. He had eight first quarter points, and it kept it kind of close. Second quarter, though, was when you saw the Trey Man take over. He could not miss. Set a record for the most points in a quarter for Thunder rookie here. 20 in his 12 minutes. And it marked a season high for rookies in the NBA. So SGA was looking very nice. Trey Mann had the best quarter of his career. Probably one of the best quarters individually we've seen on this Thunder roster the entire season anyways. But they still were down 15 points going into halftime. Miami shot 56.5% from the floor. Adebayo had 15 points. Duncan Robinson was still feeling himself. And just like last game, there were too many options to handle. So you have a good one and two, but you're playing against a Miami Heat team that is arguably one of the most well-rounded in the entire NBA. Third quarter comes around. OKC can't lock them up. 34 points for the Miami Heat. They just continue to build upon their earnings. And the fourth quarter was basically where OKC got to their best spots. But it was a case of too little, too late. 
had a cut here where you didn't see starters really any of this. I mean, SGA only played three minutes, but Poku, he had eight points. Aaron Wiggins took over. He had 10 points on four of four shooting, and they were able to outscore the Miami Heat 29 to 17 in the quarter. That's still really not going to get you where you need to be. They end up losing the game 120 to 108. Losing streak builds to eight. And they found themselves down well into the 20s in this one. They were down by 29 points at their worst. They just could not handle the heat in that second half. Had some really good moments in the first, of course, but kind of let up, put on those breaks in Miami. They were just accelerating the entire time. Big game from Trey Mann. This was the best game of his career by far. He had 25 points in the game, 10 of 19 from the floor, and 5 of 11 from distance. Easily would have been a 30-point game for him had he not injured himself. I think it was an ankle sprain uh, that kind of handicapped him, but he only played 28 minutes to get to his 25 points. And when I see that, I think of one man. I think of Jordan Clarkson. I think of even Jamal Crawford, maybe, where they just get in there as the sixth man and dominate. We'll have to see how Dagnall wants to use Trey Mann, but the package, the archetype, everything about him just screams that microwave score that you want on your roster. Is he the greatest passer? I don't know yet. I think he still needs to work in that area, but when you're talking on ball creators, this is one of the better rookies out there in the league right now, and you can tell because no other rookies dropping 20 points in a quarter except for Trey Mann. SGA he was a really good combination with man. He had 26 on the game, 9 of 17 and all, 1 of 4 from deep and 7 of 9 from the foul line. 7 rebounds and 4 assists for him. And Poku had 10 points to go along with a career-high 15 rebounds. He wasn't playing the center position. He, he kind of filtered around there. But when you're looking at the regular rotation, I'd say he only played center for probably five to eight of these minutes. So he was just getting down and dirty below the rim. Four of those came on the offensive glass for him. And he had five assists to just two turnovers. So yet another impressive game from Alexei Pokushevsky. And Aaron Wiggins even added 17 points, five of seven from the floor and seven of eight from the foul line in his 29 minutes. This one just came down to... I guess it came down to multiple things, right? Because they couldn't stop Miami. They ended up shooting really well from the floor. They only shot 35% from deep, but I mean, OKC, they shot 29% from there. And you had guys like Tyler Hero popping off for 26 points. Bam had 19. Robinson had 19. And in all, they had seven guys in double figures, which OKC hasn't even done yet this season. Uh, so it lets you know how just depth heavy this Heat team is, but also how scary they can be. For OKC, whenever they match up against a team that just has a wide array of scorers, it does end up hurting them. Um, and th this was a really good case of that. So they lose by 12. This is one where they were down like 20 for a good amount of the third and fourth, but you got that nice little burst from Poku in addition to Aaron Wiggins and kind of move on to the next one with your head up high. One thing though, no SGA in yesterday's contest. They come in 
face the Orlando Magic in Orlando, and that couldn't be more fitting. You look at some of the other tank battles we've had this season, I think against the Pacers is when Josh Giddy made his first, you know, injury appearance. Now, as we know, th- that was not BS. Josh Giddy has not returned. Uh, but we look behind that, we look to some other games, you know, you'll see some patterns on like back-to-back sets where, you know, they're a little bit interesting on when they rest somebody. I don't know if I could give you a set date. This is definitely one of them, by the way. Um, but maybe with Al Horford last year, they would be really strategic on their back-to-backs because normally he would play day one of the back-to-back, rest the second day. But sometimes he wouldn't play uh, the first day, he'd play the second day, and hell, he didn't play after like February or March. So I guess that is the golden signal. He missed like probably 20 or 30 games really to the cause of getting to the lottery in which they got Josh Giddy. But yeah, no SGA. For the Orlando Magic, they really had everybody. Obviously, there's no Jonathan Isaac because of his season ender, but they had a decent starting unit to kick things off. And you had Trey Mann, who just had a 20-point quarter, and Darius Baisley, who's been on one of the better, uh, better hot streaks of his young NBA career. And Darius Baisley was the number one option to begin the game. Rolled out 10 of the Thunder's first 19 points, 19-14 lead for OKC. But then Orlando just went to the basket, and they closed the frame with 12 points unanswered had a 31 to 25 edge going into the second and the second frame was like a college basketball game I think I had the TCU Arizona game uh, next to me while the Thunder game was going on and you could probably compare it to each other now uh, with the TCU one there were a lot of foul calls until the very end where there might have been a push right but there's a lot of loose balls, lots of turnovers on both sides, and I might say the Thunder game had more in this stint. There were 12 collective turnovers in the second quarter, and there were only 12 made baskets. So these guys were not looking good on either side. And when you're looking at the 12 made field goals, the distribution was damn near even. OKC had seven made field goals. Orlando had five. But you, you got to keep in mind, like, Orlando was getting to the foul line a little bit more. It ultimately didn't matter. OKC won the quarter 18-14, to and they were down two points, 45-43, to going into that second quarter. And the offensive woes just continued in the second half. You had more of just these really bad shots, people not being able to hit, uh, until you had about three, four minutes left on the clock, and Vid Crenci and Teo Maladon just were balling out. They had nine consecutive points to close the frame, 9-1 run, and that eight-point swing put OKC from being down six points to up two going into the fourth quarter, 64-62. to This is one of the more low-scoring contests of the season, but you still have a really good chance in the fourth quarter and you're ahead by two points. So if you actually want to win the game, this is a grand prize for you. Then Orlando started force feeding window Carter Jr. And this isn't a new breakthrough for the game. Like 
Wendell Carter Jr. is a back-to-basket big. When you compare Isaiah Roby and kind of who he's able to defend, I put Carter Jr. kind of in the gray area because he's not like this seven-foot post guy. He's 6'9", 6'10", kind of the same build as Isaiah Roby, but he's a lot stronger around the basket, and he's really good at kind of finding that post positioning, and he was torching him. He was torching him. Olivier Saar was having troubles, and same goes with just about everybody. He needed to apply a lot of pressure around the rim, and he was getting real damn close to his career high in the mid portion of the fourth, and He actually looked to get his career high at the foul line. He drove inside and he attacked the basket, absorbed some contact from Isaiah Roby and went up for a layup. But then Mark Dagnall challenged the play. Roby was on the ground because he got clipped in the nose. He got kind of an elbow there. And I guess they were checking the monitor for potentially a flagrant foul, but also it was a coach challenge. So is it a blocking foul or a charge? Initially, it was a blocking foul, but they overturned it into a charge. They didn't assess any sort of flagrant. Now, based on prior history, even without intent, like if you're elbowing somebody, that's normally going to translate to a flagrant one, but they didn't do it. So it was just OKC's ball and they were still down a little bit. They were down by four points when this play occurred. But when you get the basketball back, you got a chance to make a little stretch here. They find Darius Baisley on a three. He hits it. One point game now. And then you get to the foul line after a magic stop. They took the lead really off of that play. That's where you get that mini run going to be up 81 to 80. But then Orlando, they got back, got home cooking. And they went 10-3 to close the game almost entirely around the cup so Orlando stole the game took it 90 to 83 and this one has a lot of lottery implications if you've been following kind of the tankathon stats this entire year you'll know that there's been a group of three the entire season it's been Houston Orlando and Detroit and really no set order those have been the three that have been very tightly knit Uh, in the reverse standings, and then you get to like a blockade, OKC's been stuck at four all year, then you get some rendition of like Indiana, Sacramento, and maybe uh, like the Portland Trailblazers or something, but after this game, OKC has lost nine straight, and they've put themselves in play for the best lottery odds, As you guys know from last season, the top three teams get the exact same cut at a top three pick and the number one overall pick. It's a 14% chance and a 52.1% chance at the top four. As for the fourth best, you go down to 12.5% for the number one pick and 48.1% for a top four pick. So is it significant? You may say on the surface, no, because it's like one or two percents on both sides, but it's going to matter. I mean, OKC, all things considered, wanted to get a top three pick last season, and it didn't work out. It it gave one of the worst outcomes possible because they didn't get the Houston Rockets pick and they came out with the fifth best selection, which turned out great. But, you know, that that's not where you wanted to be in that draft class in all 
realness. Like, let, yeah, just keeping it real. They wanted to be in the top three. They wanted to get a Mobley, wanted to get a Cade, wanted to get a Jalen Green, just someone of that tier. Uh, and they want one now. I mean, you got Chet, you got Paolo, and you also got Jabari. There's even Jaden Ivey is a really good fourth option here. So you want to get those supreme odds. Right now, the Thunder are sitting at 20 and 51 on the season. Orlando is 19 and 53. So there's only a one and a half game separation between the number two spot and the number four spot. And Detroit is stuck right in the middle. They are one game ahead of OKC in the reverse standings. So if they take a win and OKC loses tonight, OKC is now going to have the third best lottery odds. So they are 100% in the mix now. And you're coming on the home stretch where OKC has 11 more games. It's big time. This is where you bring back Josh Hall. You get Kyle Singler back in the rotation. They're paying the man more than Vic Krejci right now. So might as well tell him to suit up and get out of retirement. Deontay Burton's in the G League. Maybe you bring him back. Dakari Johnson, he might still be in the CBA. Um, yeah, but this is where you get everyone. You play on big minutes and you essentially run the second unit um, <laughs> and see where it's able to take you. Now, I don't think they're, they're going to do that. Like SGA is going to have his minutes. Um, if you end up seeing JRE come back, he's going to be playing significantly, but a lot more opportunities were spread out for the youngsters last season. I think that's going to remain the same. And for Houston, Orlando, and Detroit, they also are very, very young. Now, Houston, they're really just playing their normal rotation just without John Wall, and they're still losing games. But for Orlando and Detroit, they're also kind of having to make some efforts here to minimize the win column. So, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cool. I'll keep you guys on track with that. But I also want to keep you guys on track with what actually happened in this game and how OKC was able to really whittle the margin and make it a wide open case to get really good lottery odds. And we'll start here with just the baseline stats. OKC shot 32.6% in the game. That's freaking atrocious. And they shot 27% from three-point land, 66.7% from the foul line as well. So all three of those outputs are going to be like probably in your back 10% of games. Those are not going to get you anywhere. And for Orlando, they also just completely stunk it up. They shot 38.6%, 22.6% from three, but they did shoot 79.2% from the line. They had seven more made free throws, which really gives you all the difference there in the game. Going to individuals, though, the name that pops out has to be Alexei Pokushevsky. He shot three of 20 on the game, one of 10 from deep, seven points, seven rebounds, five assists, and five turnovers. The shots were there for Poku. They just weren't falling. And everyone has been talking about how, you know, he, he's he been consistent. Hell, I've said he's been consistent. But then he has this one game where he just hasn't looked worse this year. This was one where, yeah, it, it wasn't great. He was airballing a little bit. 
just wasn't getting a great touch off the rim like he has in the last week or so. But I don't think this really matters that much. I'll go into it in a second. But he's had about eight or nine extremely good games where he's getting double figures. He's getting 15 rebounds in some games. And he's able to be an impact from all three levels. The man's quick trigger three is special when he gets it going. This was kind of just one of those like reality checks where he still has some development time. But also, everyone kind of has crappy games. Like SGA had eight points against the Timberwolves. Despite that, the man was dropping 30 points like every single night up until Friday, you know? So everyone has these bad games. We'll see how he plays tonight, but I'm not all that worried. That's just kind of the primary reason why they lost the game. And Trey Mann, he shot five of 19. Now, Mann, he actually had a lot of fans come in because he's from Gainesville. That's about like give or take an hour 40 away from Orlando. So you had fans and friends, um, people from Florida even because he did go to college there. 13 points for him. He went 3 of 11 from distance. Opened the game with two beautiful step back threes, but he never really got back on that, uh, at least when it came down to like clutch time. And then Baisley. He had a good game as the leader. Now, he had the first 10 and 19, like I noted. Didn't really stay as the dominant force. He had 18 points, just one rebound, but he shot 6 of 11 in 28 minutes. And then you had Lindy Waters go 4 of 7 in all, 4 of 6 from 3, and he had 12 points in 21 minutes. I love his transition pull-up, and this is something that... I don't know it was by design by Grant Gibbs, but in the like fast break, you oftentimes see these blue guys, whether they were there for a little bit or they're still on the team, you'll see them do these like pull-up threes in transition. Rob Edwards does it all the time. Lindy Waters does it all the time. And you're starting to see it with some other players like Justin Jaworski, for example. I saw him do a couple of these uh, when I was out watching the, some of the blue games. And... It, it's been a nice surprise for um for this Thunder group. Like it's been able to translate for Lindy in these fast breaks. You have a lot of open space for him and analytically, is that the shot you want to take? You probably talk to a lot of different people, but tell you what, for Lindy, it's been a high percentage shot for him. So I love when he takes it. He has so much confidence putting those three balls up and it gave them the most threes um, on the team. I mean, he accounted for four out of their 13 on the game. Trey Mann had three. And outside of that, you're lucky to see someone drop two threes on the ball game. But those were kind of the primary guys in double figures. Isaiah Roby had 11. Teo had 10. And Vitz, he shot three of five to get to eight points. But couldn't stop Wendell Carter Jr., man. 30 points, that's a career high. 16 rebounds. And he went 12 of 15 from the floor, 2 of 3 from distance. All she wrote, really. I mean, <laughs> it was it was the Wendell show because Cole Anthony was pretty damn bad. He shot 1 of 7 on the game. Some of the other players you'd look towards, like Hampton, he had 8 points. Mo Bamba had 7. They just had two other members in double digits. Happened to be both of the Wagners with 11 and 10. That was uh, with Franz getting the 11 points. But yeah. Lots of interior issues, and that's why Orlando took the W. They are now going to be up in a gauntlet. I mean, they got to deal with some teams. We'll see 
uh, if they're able to capture any wins. OKC still has some of these tanking teams on the schedule. And that's going to result in a lot of injuries and a lot of very fun basketball, but not in the conventional way. Should be right up your guys' alley. But I want to talk about two of the players we've seen from the last week, Trey Mann and Alexei Pokushevsky, and just how they've been able to perform uh, given the new circumstances. And Trey Mann, I really just want to talk about that 20-point game. So much potential has already been on the table, but just seeing 12 minutes of excellence is so nice to see from him. He would have had the 30 points like I mentioned but he brings the full package. As a ball handler, I love his moving hesitation, and then that step back that's able to create so much room. It's the one-two combo that is going to be scary for defenders. You already know in terms of acceleration, he's one of the best in the NBA. But to pair with it, the fact he's able to keep you kind of on your feet, he's not, you know, he kind of keeps you on wobbly legs, gets him wide open, and it gets him because from the three ball, he can create off the step back, but the moving hesitation, among other things, really positions you to be deadly on those dribble drives on whether he's going to put up like a floater or he's going to kick it out, and he hasn't been the greatest in terms of like passing out of the drives, but that floater in general has been an absolute beauty to watch. That's something that kind of came along with Florida, and he's still honing in on it, I will say, though, he's going to be able to generate a good amount of buckets off of just getting to the basket when he does take you one-on-one. But even from three, I mean, he's been one of the better guys, not just like on the ball, but also off the catch. He's shooting 37.6% on catch and shoots. Right now, he's shooting 40, or excuse me, 34.7% in all. So he's one of their more consistent three-point shooters. I mean, OKC, let's face it, they're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. They need to have some of these top sources. Trey Mann has definitely been that. And it kind of makes you think, you know, where he's going to be in the next two, three seasons. He'll definitely be in the mold for a very long time, though. And with Poku, he's kind of been just teetering on really good NBA player. And man, this guy just isn't able to do much right like just the up and downs have been insane the last year or so for every like flashy pass you'd see from him probably be like three turnovers you know just like decision making was off there'd be a couple air balls didn't look great in the g league last year then he hits that colossal high really low to start this year stock was maybe at an all-time low in the g league in january but then he comes back and he's just looked amazing post all-star break he's averaging 11.7 points 7.3 rebounds and 2.9 assists in 13 games back if you take out that bad apple where he went 3 of 20 these numbers would look a lot better man and i think percentage wise he'd be like 35 percent from distance i don't think it comes down to like the actual numbers on a 10 game sample it comes down to the moments from him and The thing that I'll say is he looks a lot more meticulous in what he's doing. There's no more stupid, like, 360 passes to the Gatorade tub, you know? Like, he had an extremely nasty, flashy pass yesterday, don't get me wrong. But you just don't see that too often from him anymore. He'll just make the traditional pass. And whenever he gets the basketball, 
He's looking confident on that three-point shot. They put him in the corner a lot more than they used to. We used to see him a lot like from 28 to 30 feet back on the wings where he'd just kind of immediately launch it. Now he's in the corner where that's a more high percentage look for him. But also when he's getting it out of wing, for example, he's looking to drive inside. And with the frame of his, he's able to do some damage. On the fast breaks, he's been way more impressive. And even on the glass, he's kind of getting in there. Uh, to harvest a lot of those rebounds blocks and steals have come into uh, kind of the way of things as well assist to turnover ratio I talked about it maybe last week on how impressive he's been immediately after that he had a lot of turnovers in a game but just he's been able to kind of keep it to a minimum where two turnovers is about where you're going to cap out when he's playing maybe 28 30 minutes and that's pretty impressive for him so he's been looking great Trey Mann's been looking great Vic Krejci was mentioned in last episode but I'll say he's probably the third best surprise we've gotten out of all these injuries they will have a chance tonight to impress they're going to be capping off their back-to-back sets they'll be teeing off to face the Boston Celtics so I will get you guys a recap on that after the conclusion but other than that though guys That is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.